And we are going to um, be in the church of Smyrna tonight. I think, um, you know, I didn't think about this beforehand, but this may be a, um, a fitting lesson for tonight for all that we're, we're talking about. So um, hopefully you'll get something out of it. I believe if you came here looking for it, God will give you what He means for you to have. But we're going to read Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. We're going to go through verse 11. It says, And to the, church, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you are actually rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Somebody give me just a little bit of context of what some of the things we're looking for in the book of Revelation. When we read it, what are some of the goals that we said we want to um, achieve from reading it? Okay. A new vision, a, a revealing, an unveiling of, of Jesus and who He is to us, especially in today's church. All right. And what did we learn about that uh, unveiling of Jesus? What is one thing we learned about it? How did we see Him today? Where's he at? All right. Okay. But from the book of Revelation in particular, where did we see that Jesus is at? There you go. So, walking among the lampstands, right? And the lampstands, it told us, are the churches. And so we saw an unveiling, a revelation of Jesus that He is actually walking in the midst of His churches and He's inspecting them. And He is giving them the words that they need to be able to make the changes that need to be made. Alright? What other goal do we have from Revelation? Anybody remember? Yeah, what are the goals? Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. There you go. So look, look at verse 1 again. So of chapter 1. So this is the introduction to this letter. This is the revelation or the apocalypse or the, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him, talking about John here, and why did he give it to him? To show his service the things that must take place soon. Alright, so you got two purposes in that verse. One is to reveal Jesus. Alright, so when you read this letter, the key to interpreting Revelation and the key to understanding what it means is that you're looking for these things. You're looking for a revealing of Jesus, a way that you've not yet seen Him. All right, And we saw that He's walking among the churches in chapter 1. We've already established that. And then also we're looking for 
that this letter was written to show, this revelation was given to show His servants the things that must soon take place. So we're also looking for things in here of things that must soon take place. Alright? What's another goal of this book? Huh? Verse 3 of chapter 1. So that the one who reads it, the one who hears it, the one who keeps what is written in it is blessed. And that blessing, now today we've got blessing messed up. We think of blessing as a financial thing or as, um, as a new car, a new house. We say, boy, God's really blessed me. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying those aren't blessings. But in particular, a blessing just simply meant this, to do something that benefited the one that received it. So if if no matter what it was, if I did something to Nathan that benefited him in any way, I bless Nathan. It was just that simple. And so what we have to understand in this is that the one who reads this book, the one who hears this book, the one that keeps the words that are written in this book, he is going to receive something that benefits him in some way. So when we say one of the goals we're looking for is a blessing, do I mean that if you read this book that you're going to find a $100 bill when you walk out the door tonight? Do I mean that tomorrow you're going to win the lottery? No. I'm talking about that whoever reads this book, whoever hears these words, and whoever keeps what is written in it, God is going to benefit you in some way. More than likely, how is He going to benefit you? That or by giving you encouragement, strength, uh, by preparing you to, for what is to come, right? So that you're able to, to um, persevere in the faith. Alright. So those are just a few of the goals that we, that we set to achieve. Um, one of the things that we found out in the first part of chapter 2 was that Jesus was walking among one of His churches in Ephesus and does anybody remember what, what he saw? What did he see when he walked through the church of Ephesus? Alright. So he, they, they were a church that they had, they were hard working, because notice in chapter 2, verse 2, I know your works, your toil, I know that you are patiently enduring, I know that you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So that first part right there, we see that when Jesus inspected the church of Ephesus, this was a hard-working church, right? This was a church that they knew false doctrine. They were doctrinally sound. They labored and told for Jesus, they did not grow weary in their work for the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a pretty solid church. But, look at verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. So what was the cure for this? How do we figure out? What do we do about this in verse 5? Remember, therefore, what? From where you have fallen. In other words, go back to the beginning. Just, just go back to the beginning. When Jesus first saved you, and you truly understood where you stood in the eyes of your Creator, and the wrath of God that was on you, and you go back to that time whenever He 
had delivered you from all of that. That's the first thing you've got to do is remember. So they had forgotten something, right? They had forgotten what Christ had really done for them. They were doctrinally sound. They were a hard-working church. So this was not about that they weren't, they weren't working hard enough, they weren't doing enough for the Lord Jesus. So what was it about? Well, notice again in verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen and do what? So remember and repent. What does repent mean? Turn around. And what do we do next? So in other words, this is something they were doing that they're not doing anymore, right? So... We can't just say this is an emotion that they didn't have anymore. This was a work that they were supposed to be doing that they weren't. So ultimately what you can get from this is the, the love that they had at first that they had abandoned was a love that just they understood what Jesus had done for them. They understood what He had delivered them from and it overflowed out of them into others. And that was beginning to wane away, beginning to wax cold as Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 24. Would you see if there's a cup of water back here, Nathan? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Thank you. So, they needed to remember, they needed to repent, and they needed to turn around and go back and start doing what they once did. And ultimately, I chalked this up to two things. This was a love for understanding what Jesus had done for them and a graciousness about it and a... Um, a, a, a a worship that came from them because of what Christ had done for them. And it overflowed into their love for others and the works that they did for others. And so while they were still doctrinally sound and doing other things in the church, they were failing in just the simple parts of just loving one another. Now tonight, we get to the next church, which is Smyrna. Just a few things that I want to tell you about Smyrna. Smyrna was the, um, they called it the crown jewel of Asia Minor. So Smyrna was a city that they were really the first city that didn't need any kind of Roman troops or any kind of Roman policing there. They basically just had a governor and, and it kind of ruled itself. Rome didn't have to put any kind of a, um, a, a, a fort there, if you will. They, they kind of were able to let them go on their own. And the reason being is because one of the things that they did, well, they were the first city to build a temple to the goddess Rome. They considered Rome to be a goddess, and they built a temple to sacrifice to her and to worship her. And they were one of the first cities to build a temple in honor of the emperor, in honor of Caesar. And so they worshiped the goddess Rome and they worshiped the god Caesar. One of the things this city had to do, once a year all of its citizens were required to come to the, to the temple of Caesar and to offer incense and to declare that Caesar is Lord. It, when, if and when they did this, they received a certificate. That, that said, they have just came and declared that Caesar is Lord. And they worshipped Caesar and they worshipped Rome. And so that's a problem for a Christian, right? Because for a Christian, is Caesar Lord? 
For a Christian, there is one Lord, and it ain't Caesar. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. But this was the crown of Asia Minor, and it was the most beautiful city that um, that Asia Minor had. It was probably started in the offshoot of Ephesus. We said that last week, remember? Uh, Paul stayed in Ephesus for several years and taught. And from Ephesus, people left there and went out and started other churches. And so we believe that Smyrna was one of those churches, and you can find that in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, if you wanted to read a little bit more about that. Um, they were big on trade guilds. One of the things that you might be more familiar with in trade guilds is labor unions. Y'all ever heard of labor unions? And so basically, what was what does a labor union do? Unites the workers. And so the workers come together and all of them are on the same team. What happens if somebody goes against the labor union? What do they call them? Thank you. Scabs. Why do they call them a scab? <laughs> okay. But here's, here's the thing. In a labor union, if all of the workers came together and they decided, and you were not part of them, you would be ousted, correct? And so basically, I've heard of them cutting their tires. I've heard of them burning their vehicles. I've heard of them, I mean, you could probably, y'all could probably tell, I've never been a part of one, but y'all probably heard stories of these labor unions and what they do. Labor unions were big in this place. Do you remember in the book of Acts whenever um, they almost killed Paul? I think it was in Ephesus. I'd have to go back and find it. But all the silversmiths come together and... Paul had been preaching that Jesus was the way, that you don't worship these gods, that there's only one God to worship. And all of the silversmiths come together and they created a riot. I think it was in Ephesus. And, um, and they brought them together and they, um, they were going to kill him because he was turning the world upside down. Y'all remember that? Why? What, 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 was, what was wrong with the silversmiths? What was Paul doing? That's exactly right. They were a union of workers that had come together and basically all of these workers, most of them found their trades in making gods and making other things for the worship of this city. And so if a trade guild ever got together and decided that you were out, guess what? They could almost take it as far as to have you killed. And we can see that when you go back and study the book of Acts. Whenever this... Um, uh, church in Ephesus was being created. So those are just a few things that you need to understand. Another thing that they had to face was not only if a Christian... So think about it like this. If you're a Christian in Smyrna and you've got the same kind of labor unions that Paul faced in Ephesus and now you refuse to go and burn the incense that these trade unions grow and sell together, you refuse to purchase the gods. You refuse to... If you are refusing to do that, what is the worst thing that can happen to you in this, in this town? They can kill you. I wouldn't say that's the worst thing though. Thank you. They can put you out of business so that you can no longer make any money whatsoever. One of the worst things for me is to be a father and not be able to provide for my children. Can I get a witness, anybody? How many men have committed suicide because of that? 
Because death was not the worst thing. The worst thing is being put out of and not being able to take care of the people that you love. And so that was one of the things that these people were dealing with. Another thing they were dealing with was Jewish persecution. You remember that everywhere that Paul went, when you go back in Acts and you study, everywhere Paul went from these cities, who was following him trying to kill him? The Jews. Every place he went. The, and where was the first... When Paul would enter a new city, where was usually the first place that Paul went? To the synagogue. Because there was usually a Jewish synagogue in these cities. So there's a Jewish presence in all of these cities. So not only are they suffering persecution from Rome, but they also suffer persecution from the Jews. Now with that context in mind... Let's read again in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 2. John says, or Jesus says, I know your tribulation. Now if you were doing a word study tonight, this comes from a word that means to be pressed hard. It's the same kind of word they would use when they're talking about crushing the, the fruit to get the wine and the juice out of the fruit. To be pressed hard. So here's what Jesus says, I know how hard-pressed you are. I know it. And I also know what else? Hmm? Your poverty. I know your poverty. This comes from a word that means to be destitute, beggary. This is not just poor, alright? He's not saying, I understand you're poor. He's saying, I understand and I know that you are without even the basic necessities of life. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. You go back and you study the Greek for yourself. Find you a Strong's Concordance and you'll see. They were pressed hard. And they didn't even have the basic necessities of life. More than likely, what you're going to find out is the reason why they didn't. It's because of the persecution they were suffering for not being willing to proclaim Caesar as Lord, for not being willing to worship the other gods, for being a Christian. This is what they dealt with. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. Smyrna was a word that meant to crush the incense so the fragrance could come out. That's right. Alright, and so Jesus says in verse 9, I know how hard-pressed you are. I know how destitute to the point of beggary that you are. But what does He say to him next? So Jesus don't just leave it there, does He? He wants to make sure they understand something. You can be without the basic necessities in this life. You can be without shelter. You can be without food. You can be without water. You can be without anything that you need to survive in this life and still be rich. How? Alright, let's keep reading. So this is what Jesus knows. He also knows that they are being slandered by those who say that they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You see why I laid the context out to begin with? Because they're being hard-pressed to the point of beggary from both sides. 
On the one side, they're being hard-pressed because of Rome, because of what Rome requires. On the other hand, they're being hard-pressed to the point of beggary because of Jews. But, and what were Jews? God's chosen people. So basically, you could translate this here. He says, uh, let's read it again. The slander of those who say that they are God's chosen people, but are not, but instead they are a synagogue of Satan. Ultimately, he's just telling them very plainly, I know they call themselves Jews, God's chosen people. That's not God's chosen people. Y'all remember us going over that a long time ago? All right, That's not God's chosen people. I don't care that they are the seed of Abraham. I don't care that they meet in a synagogue. That's not God's chosen people. That is a synagogue of Satan. And ultimately, it's the same thing Jesus said to them. He said, you're not of Father Abraham, because if you were of Father Abraham, you would believe in me because he spoke of me. But you are of your father, the devil, because you seek to kill me, and he was a murderer from the beginning. So ultimately, this is the same thing that Jesus said to the Jews themselves back, whatever, I think it was in the Gospel of John where we saw that at. So, they're being pressed hard. They are in deep, destitute poverty, but they're rich because of what they're having to go through. And they're being slandered. That word slander means abusive language. And here's ultimately what was happening. The Jews were finding every way they could to persecute these Christians. And go back and study Acts and look at the way that the Jews accused Paul to Rome. Um, uh, so they would go before Rome and they say, hey, this is what this guy is doing. Same thing they did to Jesus. You remember, what, you remember how they killed Jesus? They came to Pilate and they say, hey, this guy says that he's king, not Caesar. Y'all remember that? And so the same thing. So the Jews were coming in and they were slandering the Christians and they were saying, hey, Fagan don't, he ain't got his certificate. He says that Caesar is not Lord. Francis says that Rome is no God. And they say that the only true God is Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that was a death sentence for the most part for you. And what you will find out is that they would actually call you up and they would either threaten to feed you to the wild beasts during the games. Either you could declare Caesar as Lord and burn incense or we're going to turn you loose to the beasts. Or you can be burned at the stake. If the wild beasts don't do anything to you, then we'll tie you to the stake and we'll burn you at the stake. But one way or another, you're either going to repent of your atheism, is what they called it, because they believed that anybody that wouldn't declare Caesar's Lord was an atheist. And so, a non-believer. And they would have been right in that context. Uh, we would have been atheists back then. Alright? So... So you have this persecution that's coming down from both sides. And then in verse 10, we have the first command. So we know what's happening to Christians here. What's the first command that we have to follow here? It's easy to say, ain't it? <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
I mean, it's easy to say. Now, if I come to you tonight, let's say we're, we're, um, we were talking about COVID earlier. I come to you tonight and I would say, um, hey guys, don't fear. Does that really bring you any comfort whatsoever? Because who am I? What power do I have? What authority do I have over COVID? Over any of this? Nothing. But who is the one that gives the command right here to not fear? All right, and let's specifically go back up to the way he introduced himself. Look at verse 8 again. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, and here's what he's writing, the words of what? And keep going. <laughs> That's important. He introduces himself in each of these the way he does for a specific purpose and a reason. He says, first off, guys, I'm the first and I'm the last. I was before COVID. I died. And so ultimately, the one who is the one that is telling you to not fear based on that introduction. Somebody sum it up for me. Jesus, and specifically, the one who was before all things, and when all things are gone, the one that will still be. The one that has died, and the one that raised Himself back to life. Tells us tonight, do not fear. Do not fear. And you say, well, how in the world do these two things relate? Well, I didn't realize it until we were in prayer and I started putting it together. But look at what he says next in verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. What tense is that? Future. So in other words, the ones he's speaking to are not there yet. But, now think about the suffering they've already endured. <laughs> to the point of slander, to the point of being destitute. The trade guilds had kicked them all out. They couldn't earn a living for themselves. They couldn't provide for their families. I mean, these guys were already suffering, right? And now He says to them, don't fear what you are about to suffer. And next we see the source of the suffering. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. So here's where I tie the two together. At the end of the day, every source of suffering comes from where? Every one of them. I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if it's persecution. I don't care what it is. At the end of the day, you know where the bull... Now don't, don't get me wrong... That, I don't want to get into a, a debate over the sovereignty of God because I know that He only has power to do what God allows Him to do. I get that, alright? But it's still Him that's behind it all, alright? Right? Yeah. Right? Y'all remember when Job, um, when Job was tested? The first thing that happened, what happened to Job? The first test. Lost his family. All of his family has gone except for his wife, right? 
his goods. All right? And then, what's the last test that he has to endure? The, the sickness of his body. And so we see in different trials that the devil has authority that God has given him to cause suffering in many ways whether it's sicknesses, whether it's diseases, no matter, no matter what it is. We, he does have this, this power, if you will. And we talked about that a few weeks ago in a Sunday morning message. So if you want to know more about that, look back two or three weeks ago and you'll find it. But um, the devil is the source of every bit of our suffering. And it says here that he is about to throw some of you into prison. Now remember... Part of this reason this letter was written because he wanted to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is something that he's preparing them ahead of time. Suffering is coming. Even worse suffering than you're already dealing with right now. Now how, how does that apply to us? Let's just take what we've interpreted so far. Apply that to us today. Apply this to us. Just what we've learned so far. The fact that, the fact that um, as Christians, suffering is going to come and even future suffering is going to come. How would that apply to us today? What does that say to us today? Thank you. See, the problem today is that there are many churches out there that are teaching you that... Um, if, if you ain't living this blessed life, then something's wrong. If, you, if your sickness don't leave, then maybe you just don't have enough faith. Um, we, we're taught that God always delivers from suffering. All you got to do is just name it and claim it. Now that, that's all over your TV. If you watch preaching on TV today, that's probably what you're hearing for the most part. Yeah. Name it and claim it. It's all over the place. But one of the things that we can learn from this is that as Christians, the devil is already attacking and he is about to attack you even more. So what is the command that Jesus says to us? Don't fear what he's about to do. That's right. That's right. Don't fear what he's about to do. He is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Now I'm not going to tell you this whole story. But this church had a pastor and his name was Polycarp. Some of y'all have heard this before. If you want to go back, many of the church fathers wrote about this. You can go back and study any of the Augustine or Jerome, any of the church fathers. Most of them said something about this story. But you can find, if you just Google, the martyrdom of Polycarp. P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-P. If you just Google that, just read the story of the martyrdom of Polycarp. He was the pastor of the church of Smyrna. Literally, he was the one that the apostle John had trained up as a disciple, and he made him the pastor. Just like Paul had his Timothy, well, John had his Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor of the church in Smyrna. They were having a set of games one day, and if you read the story, you'll read it for yourself. But they were having a set of games one day. 
they were wild beasts and the people out there fighting the wild beasts. And basically, they started, the crowd started crying, away with the atheist. Now remember, who did I say the atheists were in this time? That's right. And so they went and they got several of the Christians and they brought them and they said, you can either burn incense to Caesar and proclaim Caesar is Lord or we'll send you to the wild beast. Well, the story starts out telling about this man that I, he was old in age. I can't remember his name. But he, he wouldn't recount his, his faith. And so they turned them all loose. And in order to try to, to save the other ones, he started trying to get the wild beast to come to him first. And the wild beast came and ate him up. Then they ended up killing all the other ones too. But that was the way the story starts out. Then they said, let us find, seek out and find Polycarp. Now why'd they want Polycarp? He's the pastor. He's the top of them. If we can get Polycarp, then what do you think all the rest of them are going to do? Alright? And so they go and they find Polycarp. They find him. He's upstairs in a room. They come and they warn him. They say, you've got to run for your life. He says, I'm, I'm not running. He just keeps praying. They come up, they get him, they bring him back down, they bring him before the crowd and they're saying, you know, you're going to have to deny your faith. Proclaim Caesar as Lord or we're going to feed you to the wild beast. He makes a speech, something to the effect of, for this many years I have served him. Why in the world would I repent now, as he puts it? And they said, okay, well if that's not going to work, then we're going to tie you to the stake to be burned. And, they, and Polycarp looks back at him and he says, you don't even have to tie me. I can tell you right now, I'll stand gladly on it. And sure enough, they put him out there and they put him on the stakes. And this is, I'm telling you the very compressed version of the story. I, I highly recommend you go home and read it. It's a beautiful story. And it's a true story. But anyway, Polycarp ended up being burned alive at the stake for his faith. And ultimately... What you see in here, I believe, they believe that at this time when this letter was written to Smyrna, that Polycarp was either the pastor at this time, or he was at least a member in the church at this point. Now I'm not telling you that when this says here that the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. I'm not saying that that ten days is what I'm talking about here. I don't know. I really don't. But I am telling you that the church fathers wrote about the kind of persecution these guys suffered in Smyrna during this time. So I can definitively say to you tonight that when he says the devil is about to throw some of you in the prison, these are the kind of things that he was talking about. He's not just talking about putting you behind bars and then you just got to stay overnight in a few places. He's talking about things that are going to probably lead to your death. How do I know that? Well, look what he says next. What's the next four words? Now notice, he didn't just say be faithful. Why does he say be faithful unto death? Because he knows that the kind of suffering the devil is fixing to throw their way is going to cost them their life. But did they say, well, let's just go hide away somewhere and let's just try to let this thing blow over? And I don't think there was a hiding away because you, you go back and you say, well, for 10 days, I can hide for 10 days. They just some, some 
when they responded to the ten provinces of the Roman Empire. Yeah. There were ten, ten different empires of the Roman government. Right. Right, to a different province. Right. Right. So again, I, you got two commands here. First command was what? Do not fear. Why? Who's saying this? The one who is the first, the one who is the one who was before Smyrna and the and, and the emperor, the one who will be after all of it's gone, the one who has already faced death, and the one who has been resurrected to life. So don't fear. I'm the one that's telling you this. All right. What's the second command? Be faithful unto death. Don't fear, and be faithful unto death. Two commands right there. Now again, if I tell you that, don't mean nothing. But if Jesus tells you that, that's a different story. You can actually follow those commands if you have faith. If you believe that the one who commands you to not fear is the first and the last, the one who died and rose again. If you believe that, you can follow this command to not fear. And you can be faithful even unto death, if you believe the one who commands you to do this is the one who's already died and the one who rose again. And He promises that where I am, there you will be also. He promises that. And so two commands that you can follow. And then if we follow these two commands, (laughs) there you go. There you go. Next you get into... So the way I broke this down into an outline, I just said, introduction, who, is, who are these words? Um, I, what does he know about this church? The results of the inspection. And, and this is important because I've been trying to teach you how to study the Word. The way you're going to get the most out of Scriptures like this is to try to outline it and just collect a bunch of data. Just write down the things that you see and under each, in a, or under each step. And... Fagan just picked out the last one that fast. The last step is what? The rewards. The rewards to the commands. And so if we follow these commands by faith, the reward is what? There you go. And you have to tie those two together. The crown of life means that you will not be hurt by the second death. What's the second death? The eternal death, the first death, we're all going to suffer. That's the reason He said, be faithful unto death. He's not saying, if you don't fear and if you're faithful, you won't die. Not, But He is saying that if you're faithful and you don't fear, the second death won't touch you. And the second death is an eternal death. It's a death that never ends. Just like you're given a body for eternal life, a body that can never die, well, in eternal death, you know you're given a body too, right? You're given a body that never dies, but it's always dying. It's the reason why Jesus said the worm never dies. 
The worm never dies. So, I will give you the crown of life. And then who is this to in verse 11? So this is to you and me and today too, right? So again, I ask you, if we're doing application, the last step, remember I've always told you, the first step of studying is observation, right? Second step is interpretation. So observation says, this is what I see. Well, this is what I see in the introduction. This is what I see about His inspection. This is what I see about His commands concerning His inspection. This is what I see about His rewards. And then the second step, I take all that data I've collected and I've wrote little notes here and there and I put it all together and I say, okay, what does it mean? What does it mean? And then after I have developed this is what He means, then I come down to application. How does that apply to me? And what are some questions? Because are you and I likely to be fed to wild beasts tomorrow because of our faith? Likely. Not likely. I didn't say it's not possible, but not likely, right? Are you and I likely to be dragged out of our prayer room and brought before to be burned at the stake if we don't proclaim Caesar as Lord? Not likely. So, does that mean that this don't apply to us? So what are some questions that I can ask to determine how it does apply to me? Anybody remember? Is there a command to follow? Is there a command for me to follow? How does that apply to me today then? In my context. How does it apply to you? And, and, and what trials and tribulations will that be? Are we talking about just a few? Can we make a list? Or what is all? No matter what the trial is. No matter what suffering the devil is bringing our way, right? Alright? Don't let him back you down. Don't let him sit you down. I would agree with that. Sorry about that. So, um, <clears throat> is there a promise to claim? What is that promise? And who's going to get that crown of life? <laughs> I am if I don't fear and I stay faithful. That's right. Is there a prayer for us to pray as we read this? Huh? So again, there you go. Forgive me for the fear that I... Forgive me for... That's right. So you see what I'm getting at is that there is ways for this to apply to you today. And the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is what are we going to do with this Word now? The one that is the first and the last and has died and risen again has just said to us, don't fear what the devil's about to do to you. And you be faithful unto death, even if it costs you life. He said, I'm not promising you that it's not going to cost you your life. I'm not. I'm not promising you that you're going to stay alive in this world. That's not what I'm promising you. I'm promising you that if you'll be faithful unto death, no matter how it comes, I'll give you the crown of life. I'll give you the crown of life. I will give you the um, 
the victor stone, and we'll see some of that in next week's sermon. So there's all kind of reward for the one that, that conquers. All right, is there any questions tonight? Amen. You know, the persecution, and it kind of Wow. Yeah. And it goes on to say that we had to do this to get the others out where they would not turn up over yeah. the authority. Right. Hey, one more thing before I let you go. Um, if you want to get a heads up on next week, I, I, go home and, and look at up the martyrdom of Polycarp. You'll really enjoy that read. And it's not a long read. Um, you'll, you'll really enjoy that. You will. Huh? Okay. I knew I'd asked it several years ago, though. But um, So the link may not even work now. You just have to check and see if it does. But And then if you want to prepare for next week, go back because he talks about even in the days of Antipas. And you'll read that in the next church. Go read the martyrdom of Antipas to see what he's talking about before you get there. So you have some context built up. You can also look up, so if you look up the martyrdom of Polycarp, the martyrdom of Antipas, Antipas, A-N-T-I-P-A-S, and it's in the next church. All you got to do is read and you'll see. But then um, you can also look up um, the devil's throne in Germany because you'll, we'll see next week that they actually found this, this altar, this, uh, this church that we are fixing to study next week a German archaeologist uncovered it and had it moved to Germany just in time for Hitler's reign. This true story. You go back and you do the research yourself. The devil's throne. You'll read that in the next church too. He says, I know where you dwell, where the devil has his throne, where he dwells. That's what the next church says. Hitler designed his own temple out of this design right here. And he made every... You ever seen the pictures of him standing on his um, standing on his balcony and him making his speeches? That was designed after what you're, what you're fixing to, 
to read about next week. Now, again, I'm not saying that that it's just interesting, ain't it? Ain't that interesting? So, um, so again, I, I'm not trying to add anything to the Word of God, but that's just interesting history to me. And I think you'll enjoy it too. And there's pictures of it. You can go to Germany today and you can visit the Temple of Zeus, this place that we're going to be talking about next week that was in the next city that we're going to. It's in a museum in Germany today. That temple is over there. So you could, I think the way you'd find it is Google the throne of Satan in, in Germany. I think is how you'd say it. But if you can't find it that way, you can call, you can, the throne of Satan in Pergamum. Pergamum, the next church. So look that up and you'll, you'll see, you'll, you'll probably find some good information on that. All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time and your attention. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday morning or, or next time we get together.